Hey everyone, this is Joe. I'm kind of like the king of the dipshits. What's up, guys? It's Eric. Relax, would you? We have $70 and a pair of girls' underpants. We're safe as kittens. 16 Candles, a movie about creeps. Score a direct hit. Hunks. Hopes. Parties. This is everybody. Bodies. Geeks. Clicks. Yes, I'm back. So I smell. And all the terrifying things. Can I borrow your underpants for 10 minutes? That make life worth living. Classic. 16 Candles. This is getting good. Ready PG. Starts Friday at Select Theatres. You're listening to Worth a Late Fee, the podcast where two former video rental clerks watch movies that they may have recommended at one time to see if they still think the film would be worth keeping an extra day or two to watch again, even if it meant paying a late fee. How are you doing, Joe? Well, Eric, <laughs> the more we talk about 2020, how bad it is, oh my God. it somehow gets worse and worse and worse. Yep. So I, I know. better. I'm sure you have yep. too. Yep, yep. Well, we were just talking before we started recording about the horrible racial tension in the country and what caused it and how life sucks and we're for, and, and that's for two like white guys who are doing pretty well. I can't imagine, you know, it's, it's just, you feel so bad and it's so stupid. I, nothing, nothing I can say or nothing you can say, you know, it sounds so cliche to say anything, but it's horrible. And, and, and the, what started was I, I texted Joe yesterday because I just totally coincidentally found out that I had through one of my um, like movie services that I have through cable, I have do the right thing. And so I started text. I started, I watched it. And I started texting him about it and he watched it when he was in film school and whatever. But then that movie is like to think that that movie was made in 89 or uh, was it 89 or 88 or something. Yeah. Anyway. Late eighties though. Yeah. 89, I think. And, and, you know, and it was based on Spike Lee growing up with this feeling of the view of the world and how people are treated. And then that was 30 years ago and nothing's changed. I don't want to go down a negative. I don't either. But I, I, I actually have some positives out of this. All right. So today I actually watched, it was pretty cool. So, Josh Gad, you know, like you know, he does like a lot of voice work for Disney films, and yep. um, he did a he does this thing where he gets he reunites a lot of people to Back to the Future already, and he does like a bunch of cool cult films, and he gets them all together on Zoom calls, and he raises money for kids who can't who are, don't have food because usually like a lot of that's cool a lot of kids rely on like school lunches, you know, that's a lot of them that's like the only meal of the day, so yep, and he got. The Lord of the Rings crew together for this most That's recent cool. talk today, and it was awesome seeing the entire cast come together. I and love stuff like that. Me too. Um, regardless of like what the movie or TV show is, because especially when it's something like that, where um, it was a movie that affected all those people, and a lot of them were very young, and it truly changed their life. Like the movie we're going to be reviewing today, we're we're going to be talking about Sixteen Candles, and so anything like that where it's like, you know to get those people together where they all made one choice and it totally turned their life around in a good way. Not that I'm sure they were doing fine before that, but yeah, I love stuff like that. Yeah, using their, uh, using their celebrity status for good. So right. I've seen that. Right. Yeah. And so another thing that I've been watching is, um, this is like a total, you probably think of this as like a total bro show, there we go. but right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been watching, um, I just finished season two of Peaky Blinders. But, oh no, I've I've heard of it. I I don't really know much about that, but I've I, I hear good things about it. I'm really yeah. It's, it. it's very good. I it's 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 good. I I watched the first season a while ago, and then I I think I watched like one or two episodes of the second season, and I just stopped for no reason. I just kind of got distracted, and then the other day I was like, oh, you know what? I'll watch the next. And you know how Netflix like saves where you were. Wherever I stopped, I had stopped like right before a huge plot turn. So uh, the minute I watched that episode, I was like, well, now I'm back in on Peaky Blinders. So I've been enjoying it. It's fun. There's definitely some things where it's, it's, uh, not, it's not tough to get used to, but they, they pair modern music with a film that's, you know, set in like the twenties or thirties in, in England and Ireland and everything, but it's Killian Murphy's great. A lot of the other people in it are, are 
just really entertaining. So I'm enjoying it. You know, it's the film, I mean, the TV show that I'm kind of watching right now when I have a spare minute, but. No, I want to watch it because of him. He's such a good actor. He's an underrated actor. He he's so get, good in this too. more leading roles. He's so good. He's, he's um in this, like, he's just so good at playing like a, one of those guys who never really, he doesn't really lose his cool too much, but he just has that look where like, he's like a ticking time bomb and you know, you don't have, he's proof that you don't have to be a big jacked, like intimidating looking person to be absolutely terrifying. He's, he's, he's good in this. So yeah, watch that. Watch. I said, like do the right thing. Um, I've watched a few good movies and shows recently, but today, like I said earlier, we're going to be discussing an absolute classic, uh, 16 candles. This is my pick. And um, so we're starting our journey into the, the wonderful world of John Hughes films with his directorial debut. Um, where, so it's kind of like we're starting where he started with 16 candles um, and I'm drinking. I tried to find something I thought for sure. I always guess things wrong. And I think it's part of, it's like a time it's uh, there's more like cakey beers because I wanted to find like a birthday cake themed beer um, but I think that's more of like a stout winter season thing, like a chocolate thing. So I found a beer called Party Guy by uh, a brewery called the Hermit Thrush Brewery in Brattleboro, Vermont. And I went found it at um, where, I, where I go for most of them, Craft Beer Cellar in Amesbury, Mass. Um, it's, it's good. It's, it's, it's a sour, so you have to be into sour beers. And sometimes people say it's a sour beer, and you're like, oh, it's not really that sour. It's a little tart, but this one's a sour. But it's good. It's very good summer beer refreshing it's nice awesome yeah so i'm i'm, I'm drinking uh sim adams summer real that's all oh. I have. but my anthony michael hall is from massachusetts so i'm gonna i'm gonna call it with i'm gonna, I'm gonna that's my relevancy for uh this first one. of all i i didn't know that about anthony michael hall which is actually surprising i did not know that second of all i will never knock anyone for buying sam summer i of of like the mainstream you know beers it is so good it's dude it's the best like it's it's the it's the best i'm going to a cookout i need a beer it's so refreshing it's it so is. i don't care if that's like it's not micro brew it's not whatever it's delicious and it has a good taste to it too it really it's does. great oh. it's great i went to um i don't usually um i usually have like one or two beers and that's it my wife, Bree, could vouch for this. My boss has a cookout every year. And, well, obviously not this year because he usually has it around Memorial Day. And a few years ago, we went and it was like 90-something degrees Memorial Day weekend. And I think I had like seven or eight Sam Summers in not a long time. And I wasn't drunk at all because I think I was just sweating it out. Like it, it was crazy. But but yeah, I love Sam Summer. It's my it's probably it's my go-to for um, barbecues because – most of my friends don't drink like micro brews, so I'm not going to waste a lot of money on buying one of those because then the, uh, some of them will get wasted. But no, anyway, this is a great beer. But this beer too, Party Guy, by is from uh, Hermitrush Brewery. It's delicious. So, um, why did I? Why do we pick it? I don't think we have to explain why I picked a John Hughes film. I said last week that I think that he doesn't get enough credit. He gets all the credit in the world for being the best at like high school movies and coming of age films and, and all that stuff. But I think John Hughes should be considered one of the best directors of all time, period. Um, I think he does something that not really any other director has had, has been able to do, which is he makes movies. He's made movies in the eighties that kids now are still watching, still loving, still relating to. And the fact that a guy did that when he was in his thirties, forties, fifties, whatever it was is it's crazy. It's, he had, he had some sort of niche for it. Now that said this one, I didn't want to start with one of my favorite John Hughes films. Um, this isn't one of my favorites. So I just kind of wanted to wade into it. Uh, but that's it. This is, this movie's on every best of the eighties list. It's just not my personal John Hughes film. That's all. So um, it did very well though. Do you have any stats as far as money or anything like that? Or I do. So it came out on May 4th, 1984 had a budget of six and a half million and it made 23.7 million in the box office. It was written and directed by the legendary John Hughes, like you just mentioned, but it also marked his directorial debut, 
which I feel like is a good reason right. to pick this film in general because it was the first one we directed. He wrote a couple before this, but this was what broke him into directing. And since they back to back to back, he put out some great films. He wrote a couple before this. He wrote National Lampoon, or he was a writer. I don't, I'm not saying he wrote it exclusively, but he was a writer on National Lampoon's Vacation. Uh, he was a writer on European Vacation. Um, so there are a bunch of movies that people don't think of as John Hughes films, The Great Outdoors, which he was a writer and executive producer, um, Home Alone. So there's a million movies that John Hughes gets credit for, and he should because he directed them or whatever. But then there's an, a whole other set of movies that he wrote, was a writer on, and you you probably love exactly and, you know it's it's crazy he's so talented so he, he is one of my favorite writers in in hollywood he he yeah. was like even like all those movies he put out so many of them they're still i still find new things in all of them all the time yeah and and like we said it's the, the ability to put yourself in the mind of a high school kid is even i'm i'm 34 now and I don't remember what high school was like. And that, and he just makes these timeless, you know, everyone can relate to him. That's the thing with his movies is you can find something or some part of each movie where you can relate to it. It doesn't matter if you live, grew up in California, New York City, Florida, Texas, guy, girl, whatever. So, yeah, he, he really did have the, have the gift. So. Oh, yeah, now they, there are a lot of great coming-of-age stories before this one, but I think he, like, redefined the coming-of-age story. He brought them over. He made, you know – Every character personable in all of his films you even this film which we'll talk about all the characters he you would think you would hate in a normal high school film you end up loving in this film right that's oh, right so but, but yeah he also this movie also made stars of molly ringworld and anthony michael hall it's actually it's pretty cool this movie was actually released last year through arrow films it's a uk based company so it stinks because it was never released in the u.s but they released an extended cut of this movie that is seen for the first time with a few extra minutes but yep. it's so cool that they're still discovering footage for this film and kind of incorporating it into the theatrical version already. That's funny because when Bree and I were watching it uh, today, I kept making these jokes. So I would be like, oh, did you, did you ever see the deleted scene about like whatever? And then I would say something totally ridiculous, but I was making it up. I didn't, now that I know there's real, there really is like deleted scenes out there. It's, it's funny, but um, so yeah, it did financially well. It didn't do, at the box office it's obviously people are still buying this movie so it's it's long-term run is it's you know it'll never go away and it's critically it did well or it did it did well but not as well as it's it, looking back on it, it did better but on imdb it's a 7.1 out of 10 it's an 85 percent on rotten tomatoes and like we said it's it's just timeless it's the, all of his movies for the most part timeless so um a few other things that were going on in the world in may of 1984 i tried to steer clear of all sports stuff not all sports stuff but i tried to not make not make this entirely sports related but u.s great britain and france all tested nuclear weapons so that imagine the stress i was born in 85 so you and i both kind of missed hopefully knock on wood hopefully we missed the the there's a tension in the world of thinking that at any day someone could have a bad day. And, you know, especially if you, you know, I don't want to get political, but some of the people we have in charge all over the world now aren't the most stable. So um, that must've been stressful for everyone. Nelson Mandela sees his wife for the first time in 22 years. He was in prison. Oh, wow. Um, when doves cry by Prince is released. Yep. Classic. Uh, Edmonton Oilers win their first cup on the back of Wayne Gretzky one of the if it one of if not the greatest hockey players of all time obviously roger clemens earns his first mlb win with the boston red sox and indiana jones and the temple of doom is released so the second we did raiders of the lost ark the second in the series came out in may of 84 so very cool yeah yeah so not some good news to you know if you were stressed out about all the nuclear weapons and stuff you could watch a watch the oilers win the cup listen to when doves cry and watch Indiana Jones. So really cool too about like the Roger Clemens first win because yeah, seeing how far he's come now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had quite the career. Well, no matter what you say about him, I think it's weird not to go on a sports, you know, tangent, especially a Boston Red Sox tangent. But it's been weird as a as a Red Sox fan to see 
he left and then and everyone hated him myself included and then now the past few years are kind of he's like showing up at Sox events he'll be watching well not now because they're not playing baseball but like last year I'd be watching Sox games and he would randomly like stop by in the booth and you're like no no get out of here Roger just because they're gonna retire your number I don't care get I still don't like you so but that's it that's enough for sports talk do you have the the back of the DVD I do so Samantha Baker, played by Molly Ringwald, is ready to make the most of her sweet 16th birthday. If only someone in her family would remember. She's your average teen, enduring creepy freshmen, spoiled siblings, confused parents, and the big blonde on campus who stands between her and the boy of her dreams. From writer director John Hughes, 16 Candles is a warm-hearted, coming-of-age comedy that helped define a generation. 100%. <laughs> A hundred percent, and it, and like you said earlier, it, it launched the career of a few actors, but it also launched a, almost a genre. Like I don't, I know there technically were coming of age films before this, but it's 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 like you know pre John Hughes and post John Hughes. There's no he he totally changed the game. So and this is the start of that. So what's your first memory of of Sixteen Candles? Um. This is one of the uh, John Hughes films that I didn't see until much later. So I started off with like, you know, Home Alone and that became and still is a tradition to watch every year. You know, then first Bueller and Baby's Day Out, which is incredibly underrated. Have you seen Baby's Day Out? I have, but I... Oh, it's so I, No, I, I thought that I don't like it, but that's that's weird that that was like it's, your second or third time. Oh man, I grew up with that film. I used to watch it all the time as a young, as a little kid. You know, Dennis and all those, but you know, he, he did a lot Dennis of, the Menace is your fourth? What is no, wrong no, with No, he did a lot of family films. So, like, I grew up with yeah. a lot of family films. Like, this was yeah. early 90s. So, like, this is what I grew up with. You know, then I moved on to, you know, Ferris Bueller and uh, Breakfast Club. Yep. And these are, like, these are radar pictures back. These are radar pictures. So, like, this was, like, a transition into his more adult stuff for me. Yep. And then I would see the cover for 16 Candles with both Molly Ringwald and Michael C. Hall. So, I recognized them from the Breakfast Club. Yeah. So because of that, I decided to watch Sixteen Candles, and at the time, I didn't know John Hughes also made that. So it was kind of cool. It, it all makes sense why you know. Yeah. Those two are on the cover of both films, and why they're so much alike. Yeah, those two for me, just personally, are the are his best. Um, Paris Bueller and Breakfast Club, and that's we'll, my favorite as well. Breakfast Club. <laughs> yeah, and we'll eventually get into the. We'll one hundred percent do those movies eventually. I, but um though and those are my first that that's what i think of when i think of john hughes is growing up with those two films they were on cable all the time i obviously also grew up with home alone and um like planes trains and automobiles and stuff like that but uncle buck but the two movies that i think of the most when it comes to john hughes breakfast club and um um what do you call it ferris bueller but this was always kind of, I kind of always thought of this as like the, not a bad way. I've seen this movie quite a few times and, but I always thought of it as more of a aim towards girls than, than the other movies. I, I always thought like, Oh, guys are more prone to like Ferris Bueller and breakfast club. This is more of a girl's movie, but I always remember liking it and I still like it. So <clears throat> I don't have as many, as much of a tie to it as I do the other ones, but it is a classic and, uh, like you said, a launched career, and just to get into so, as far as um, people were gonna take a look at what they were doing before and after this film, there's I'm gonna look at Molly Ringwald, Anthony Michael Hall, John Hughes, and Michael Sheffling, who played Jake Ryan. And I have a, I this was this is almost not the first Sheffling movie that I did on the podcast. Oh, cool. Okay, I'll say he's a really cool career. Like he had, he took a different took a different route from acting, which is kind of cool. So yes, <laughs> yeah. So we'll start with Molly Ringwald. She did a couple smaller roles, but it's really this in '84, Breakfast Club in '85, Pretty in Pink in '86, and then the rest of her career she did she had other stuff, but that was the big one, two, three. No films in between those. So is there a better between? I'm saying so. Uh, 60 Candles, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink. It would be tough to find a better three film in a row stretch with no no fat in between to trim. 
But then Anthony Michael Hall and Anthony Michael Hall says, "Hold my beer." National Lampoon's Vacation in '83, Sixteen Candles in '84, Breakfast Club in '85. So already that three rivals uh, Molly Ringwald's three, and then he does Weird Science in '85. So those are his four in a row. That's insane. I love how John Hughes goes like the script says the Tarantino route where he casts the same. Like if he likes someone, he'll just cast yeah. the same. The films like if they're doing the job for him keep it right. going right and uh and then i talked about michael Sheffling. so two movies that matter and in my opinion this is the lesser of the two he was in this but he was also in one of my favorites one of my best friend adam's favorites vision quest in 1985 i have hold on one second you guys joe talk for a second so just like eric was saying I, I, eric's gonna go fish for his own movie right now these actors have had some of the best stretches when it comes to films back to back to back. We're talking about Harrison Ford last time and not many actors come close to these great stretches, but like these between Mario Ringworld and Michael C. Hall. You see, oh, there it is. I'm back. <laughs> no one can see this, but I went and grabbed my Vision Quest DVD. And I told Joe before we started recording this I almost did, without even thinking of it, Vision Quest was almost my next pick. For, it was almost this pick. So it'll be coming soon. Don't, don't you worry about it. But sorry to, if you were in the middle of something. Sorry no, I was, just kind of, I was just kind of talking about like what we talked about the la, a few episodes ago with Indiana Jones, how not many actors have such great stretches of films, but these actors do. And then Harrison Ford, like looking yep. at like, some of the 80s actors, a few of them had these <clears> great stretches back to back to back, like, these like, people have like this and then vision quest cooch oh. <laughs> have you ever seen vision quest yes i have not oh a God. long while so it's it's oh it'd be, man yeah, it'd be a refresher for sure i would try to get brie to watch it because um we were listening to this is how old we are now and it given given the times this that's part of it too um but brie and i on um on Sunday mornings, usually we're, we're like, just because we can't go to any store. So we'll like drive around and go to like farm stands and whatever. And so we were driving around, listening to this classic rock station and they played uh crazy for you by Madonna. And I was like, this is my favorite Madonna song. And she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, it's from vision quest. And she's like, it's just, so that would be, if I could convince Brie to watch vision quest, it would be, she's never seen it. It would be entirely because Crazy for You by Madonna's Invasion Quest. But so those are the three actors that I wanted to focus on Handsome Jake Ryan, and then Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall. Um, but the man of the hour, John Hughes. So he's a writer on National Lampoon's Class, uh, class Reunion, Mr. Mom, National Lampoon's Vacation, and Nate and Hayes. That's in 82 and 83. He does this in 84. He's a director and a writer. In 85, he's a director, producer, and a writer in Breakfast Club. He's a writer on European Vacation, director and writer on Weird Science. And, and then he does, he's a producer and writer on Pretty in Pink. He does everything on Ferris Bueller, does everything on uh, planes, trains, and automobiles in 87. Uh, the Great Outdoors, he's a director, uh, writer in 88. Uncle Bucky does everything in 89. Christmas Vacation, he's a writer. So we're only to 89, starting in 82, and he's already and you know, had a better career than most people have in oh, 40. Oh, yeah. And then, like, the 9 is what I remember him from. So, like, and Home Beethoven, Alone. Right, Home Alone, Beethoven. I loved Beethoven growing up. You know, right. you have Dutch. Curly Sue was one of my favorites growing up. It's yep. just like, and he directed that as well. He just has an insane, insane library. Right. Right. So, so that's, you know, in any, in any John Hughes film, even like the ones that are my favorite, like Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller, his ability to, like you said, remove the story from the eighties and make, or make it relatable to a kid in 2010. And even though there's there, it might be set in suburban Illinois, make it so some kid in, in like Los Angeles can watch it and relate to it. It's, I, I don't know how he does it. No one, I, and no one does because if they did, they would keep doing it and kids wouldn't be watching it now because kids would have like, <clears throat> my dad has movies that he grew up watching 
and I like some of them, but I, a lot of them I'll say, Oh, my dad, my dad's like, you know, raunchy comedy was this mine is this. I don't think kids have movies to replace these John Hughes movies. I have movies that I like that are high school, um, like set in high school and they're, they're trying to do the John Hughes thing. And I really like them. We'll talk about them later, but no one does it better than John Hughes. It's like, no one's even come close to him. And he, and he did it multiple times. If you made a movie of the five best high school movies, probably three or four of them would be John Hughes movies. It's crazy. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, a lot of people can't touch what he created with the coming of age, like high school films that do well, still don't have that John Hughes touch. Like you were talking about picking almost like uh, almost like American pie. One of, so like, I, I, yes. I, I think of that as like an attempt at like a raunchy John Hughes side, but still doesn't capture <laughs> what John Hughes would have done if he had, you know, that script, for example. Well, but, it's funny you say that because I relate. I was thinking about mentioning American pie just a few minutes ago. And I was talking about my father because my father has like his, like one of the raunchy movies from when he was younger is like Porky's. Right. And I always think of American pie when American pie came out, I was kind of like, Oh, this is like my, that, you know, it was like a lot of like sexual jokes, a lot of whatever. And I think it would have been that I think, and we'll talk about this when we eventually review American pie, but I think the worst thing that ever happened to American pie was them making 45 American pie franchise films. Right. I agree. Yeah. I do. But, I, I do like the core ones. I will say I do, no, like I do the too. core ones, but like you said, the spinoffs are ridiculous. Right. Um, but a movie that I was thinking of watching this, watching 16 candles during like the party scene, one of my favorite movies of all time, top 10 favorite for me is can't hardly wait. And that whole party scene, when you watch this, you're like, all right, you see the, you see the the influence and you know that John Hughes had his movies and then he also changed the game entirely. But can't hardly um, wait feels like a John Hughes film at times. I feel yeah. like, I think that's yeah. the closest thing to a John Hughes film. Yeah. Can't hardly wait is, is seriously one of my top 10, maybe one of my top five favorite movies of all time. Um, but we'll, so we'll do that one eventually, but um, yeah. So just some fun facts of going into this, film and around the set so anthony michael hall and molly ringwald two of the the main stars they initially disliked each other do you know this joe i didn't know i think you really like this so anthony michael hall and molly ringwald initially disliked each other so john hughes took them to a record store and they bonded after they found out they liked the same music one of the groups they liked was the rave ups which molly scribbled on samantha's notebook they were both 16 when this movie was filmed that's really um, cool. That's a good director too. Right. Uh, and Mo- and then quick turn, uh, they ended up dating. They dated briefly in real life between this movie and the breakfast club. I didn't, I, I didn't get, hard. yeah, I didn't get a date though on, did they date after this movie and through the breakfast club or just in between? Right, I don't know. Cause that makes things awkward for breakfast club. That's for sure. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and of all the movies that Molly Ringwald made with John Hughes, which like we've said earlier, is quite a few, she said she had the most fun on 16 Candles. And I'm sure part of that was like she was coming into her, her, you know, stardom or whatever you want to call it. But I think that's pretty cool. And real quick before I get into another other random facts, one of the things that I always think of when I think of John Hughes is um, when he passed away, what was that, like 15, 10 years ago? Or something. He passed away a while ago. Yeah, it and was. I remember. Uh, oh no! I was gonna say it was uh, in 2009. Okay, so yeah, right around. So I remember when they had. I think it was like the MTV Awards or something, and they did like a a special tribute to John Hughes, and to see all of those, like they had um, Molly Ringwald and and all these people out there, and it it must be so crazy for them to to look at that and be like, this guy changed our life, and people are still watching the movies and Molly and Molly Ringwald is still the same. People still walk up to her and they know who she is. And it's all because of this one guy. So, um, so anyway, back to random facts, Molly Ringwald almost lost a part of Samantha Baker to Ali Sheedy, her former or her future co- uh, co-star in the breakfast club. I love Ali Sheedy. So Haviland Morris, who plays uh, Jake Ryan's uh, train wreck of a girlfriend <laughs> is, 
is actually a, a natural redhead. And John Hughes only wanted one redhead in the movie, so she had to wear a wig throughout the film. Um, I did not know that. That's actually pretty good. Yeah, it, it is. It is. <laughs> um, they didn't have another Haviland Morris fact. There was one Haviland Morris fact that was kind of um, it was kind of weird. It, was, it had to do with the nude scene, but so you, I, it was about it was weird. You can guys can you guys can Google it. Um, it wasn't her. They're basically, that was a body double, but there's more to it. So uh, they didn't have enough money to air condition the gym. So it was over 100 degrees during filming. It was so hot that Haviland Morris changed dresses between takes due to all the sweat. So it's quite the uncomfortable scene. Viggo Mortensen auditioned for the role of Jake Ryan. Molly Ringwald. Yep. Yep, Molly Ringwald told Access Hollywood, I really wanted him. He made me weak in the knees. He really did. So Molly Ringwald, but you know, you get you get handsome Jake Ryan. He's all right. So you get Mike Sheffling. Cooch from Vision Quest. Um, he almost didn't get the role because he was so shy during the audition, which I think kind of comes across in the film. Like, and I I think that's why his film career, he didn't seem like he wanted to be an actor. I think he was a stud wrestler. And I think he just happened to be a really good looking kid who who got into acting, but yeah. Yeah. So he, and I mean that in a good way, like during the film, it's, it's almost weird because he's such a good looking kid. He's supposed to be the best, like the most popular kid in high school. And he seems like nice and shy. It's, it's kind of awkward in a good way. See, the only other fact that I had, it was, it's not even that interesting because now it's probably in the um, extended cut, but there was a deleted scene that was, that's only shown uh, on TV broadcasts, and it was a cafeteria scene, which you can probably find YouTube now. But I've never seen the extended cut that was released through Arrow, so I wonder if that's the cut. If that was the one of the things that was kind of incorporated into it. But still, funny how the theatrical version was different, the DVD version is different, but the TV version is has extra footage that we're not used to seeing. Yeah, no, it is. I saw something too about um, an extra scene where. Uh, uh, Long Duck is it's like a singing scene or something like that I think it's at the party I've, I've never seen the scene but I saw something about that um, <clears throat> Jim Carrey actually auditioned for the role of Ted the Geek played by uh, um, oh my god what's his name Anthony Michael Hall, Michael Hall yeah. that um, would have been an interesting casting choice it would have but I don't think it, it this is the right call oh, John yeah. Hughes and John Hughes actually wrote the role of the geek Ted Farmer uh, especially for Anthony Mike Hall, especially for Mike Anthony Mike Hall, having worked with him on National Lampoon's Vacation, um, so that that's that's pretty cool. And then the movie's line, last random fact I have: the movie's line, "Can I borrow your underpants for ten minutes?" was voted as number eighty-six of the one hundred greatest movie lines by premiere in two thousand seven. So that's pretty cool. This movie also it's probably in the same set of list that we were kind of going between, but. This movie almost had a sequel. I saw that. And, and, and uh, what's her name? Would have been totally on board. Um, yeah, Molly Ringwald. She Molly was, Ringwald. She was interested in it. It was going to be called like 32 Candles or something, right? Yep. Yeah, so that's that's it. But thank God they didn't, though. I'm happy, I'm happy they didn't. It would have been interesting, yeah. though, seeing her as, you know, playing herself 32 years old at the time. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just so done with sequels, especially for classic movies like this. Yeah. I can forgive them if they're made like two or three years after. But like when you go back to it, just looks like nothing like a money grab, and then it ruins the the legacy of the film to me. So yeah. Um. So this is there's going to be some pretty obvious stuff for this question, stuff that wouldn't fly in this millennium, stuff that if you made the film today, you know, in today's environment, it wouldn't, you know, wouldn't pass. What do you have? I have the use of the R word twice. Um. Only certain shows at this point I can get away with it. Even that's kind of pushing, I feel like, in today's TV. Okay. Um, there's a lot of homophobic calling in this movie. Uh, there's also a lot of talk about breasts in this film, especially during a high school setting. And the fact that a male wrote it would have, I think, some controversy in today's day and age. Yeah, I'm going to defend uh, that. But go ahead. No, no, no. no. It's, it's, again, it's, it <laughs> wouldn't be a big thing because you still see to this day in 2020, male writers kind of writing for females. But I think just the school setting would have been kind of like a red flag if you were, this was pitched, you know, in certain, especially like the nude scenes in the, like the shower sequence. Yeah. A red flag for some like um, studios. Uh, and also 
don't like the idea of the whole taking advantage of the drunk girl. That was also a, a real slippery slope there. Yeah. So you have all the same things that I have pretty much written down. I put them in two piles. So I have, well, actually you missed one of them. Did I? In, in I one pile, I have long duck and the Asian stereotypes. Oh my God. No, that's, that's right. Yes. So there's a character in that movie. <laughs> yeah. So that one for me, that wouldn't go over well in today's environment. But then the other pile, I have what you said, like the homo- homophobic slurs, the talk about dealing with drunk girls and sexually and all that stuff and how guys talk about girls. Those I put in a separate pile where when you, oh, oh, uh, the homophobic slurs. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the, the, uh, the R word, the, like you said. And those, I get what you're saying because when you hear them, your, your ears are like, ah, that's tough. But I think, and I'm not defending it, but I think you can get away at least with um, the girl stuff and the talking about girl stuff because like it or not, that is how a lot of high school guys talk. So if you do it the right way and you get that point across, I think you could get away with it. Like we've seen movies like Super Bad, for example. And when did that come out? 07, I think, or yeah. somewhere around there. And, and they get away with it. Because as long as you explain that um, and you deliver the message that this is a high school kid saying it, I know it's not right, but that's how high school boys think. And, and not all of them, but whatever. So yeah, but the Asian jokes on and one it, pile. And it is also, they also don't show anything happening. So like, it's all kind of ambiguous. Like they're like, did we do it? And they both can't remember. So it's like, you can take it however you want to, whether they did or didn't, I feel like. So it's kind of like right. in that sense. But right. it's, no, I, I, I agree though. Yeah, the the one thing, um, the other thing is uh, that gets me watching these movies, and we've mentioned it in, in other films we've talked about, but when they have it, so these guys, like the, the scene that pops out to me is when Jake is first talking about Samantha and he's doing pull-ups next to that guy. Is that guy 47 years old? I'm like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> they have all these guys who it's like, I understand they're actors, so they're not going to be, a lot of them aren't going to be honestly 17 years old. And like Jake's a good example. I don't know how old he was in this film. I think 23. But, okay, but he looks like he's a, he's a good looking right. kid. He looks younger. That guy next to him looked like Jake's uncle. But <laughs> God, it's better than like Salone was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it's not like that's not offensive, but it's just it's just funny how that works. And And I think part of it is, when I when you see this movie when like when I first saw this movie I was probably fourteen years old or something so it doesn't look so weird because to me kids that were eighteen looked old so I was like yeah they both look older than me whatever but anyway so what do you have for your favorite scene so I have with the exception of the last scene which is probably like the most iconic scene I'm going to mention the two bonding sequences between first um, Ted and Sam's character which. Leading up to this, I thought he was obviously, as we all did, the worst character. He's actually, I'm, I kind of have this in the thing that would change as well, so I'll get to that after. But I love in this scene how once he becomes friends with Molly's character, she trusts him enough to basically, you know, to ask for advice and like it's a nice friendship pretty quickly. And then I like this bonding scene between Jake and Ted. That's what I have. Because it's nice avoiding the stereotype of again the mean jock where we're used we're so used to seeing the mean jock in this in these films but in this film jake's actually a good guy and it's nice seeing him talk to you know uh ted's character in like a non-demeaning way and he's he's they're both helping each other out and it's it's a fun scene between the two of them and i love that scene that's what i wrote down for my favorite scene and where anthony michael hall and 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 Jake Ryan are talking and where Anthony Mike Hall is like 16 going on 60. He's like mixing drinks with olives, giving life advice. Like he's just, and he's so confident. That's throughout the whole movie. That's why you have to like him because as as much as his character is flawed and like he does some shady, creepy stuff and says some shady, creepy stuff. If if I had half the confidence of, of uh, the geek or farmer, that's another thing is uh, another fun fact is, how the character is credited is dependent on what you're watching. Like if it was on TV or theaters or in like DVD releases, but yeah, he he is my favorite character in the film. 
Speaking of that, I actually had all my notes. I had the geek ran down until when, until I went on some research. I found out his name was Ted. I know Farmer Ted yeah. was like the code name, like his yeah. nickname, but I don't know his name was actually Ted. So like I was yeah. like referring to him as the geek throughout the entire of my all my notes here. Right. No, and and that's how you should really for for a lot of the way you know a lot of the credit he was credited that way in a lot of different formats. So um, yeah, that was my favorite scene as well. So soundtrack thoughts. So the there are only a handful of songs that actually made an appearance in the film. But like all, like his other '80s films, they all become iconic because of this film. I feel like, uh, especially for fun, this soundtrack was released as a limited edition type deal, where it was like a mini album, mini uh, vinyl, in '84 uh, by MCA Records, and it only had the five songs on there. So this movie only had a release with five songs, and they did through unofficial digital means. They did release the full soundtrack, which had a lot of songs that didn't make the film which is interesting because a lot of them are like heavier songs. Um, but no, I, I, liking our compared to his other films, it's not as iconic, but I still think it's a great, it's a great soundtrack. That's exactly what I wrote. I wrote good, not John Hughes best, but very good. So totally agree with you. But yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I didn't realize those was a mini soundtrack. I thought that I was looking up information for this, but I was taking notes. It's kind of cool seeing like back then a mini album being released on vinyl. Like the fact that they would, they would you know, kind yeah. of put a vinyl to use and create something just five songs on there yeah no yeah it's cool. it's, it's great he, he always does he always makes the right calls with with that sort of thing in his films and a, pretty much everything else but um if you could change one thing okay so this is kind of going along with what i was talking about kind of tying into my favorite scene in theme Hall's character ted comes off real strong trying to get with sam and becomes really annoying really fast and after constantly bugging her she leaves to be a uh, this is when they're in the um the gym i believe he's bugging her and she ends up leaving to go to what i think is like an in-school garage i don't know what that was yeah i think that was like a like the, i think they had like a mechanic shop class okay. like a lot of like that that was all a thing back in the day like uh and it might still be in some schools but like i always think of the uh the save by the the bell class where they had like an auto they had like a mechanics class it was similar to like shop or something like that yeah okay so yeah when he goes in there, he, she goes in that space to kind of avoid him because he's being so annoying. And he follows her in there. In any real setting, I feel like she would be like, I've had enough of you, you know, get away. And from the flick of a switch, basically, they become friends so quickly. And I think that's my biggest problem with is how trusting she becomes with him as I'm talking to him. She hated this guy 10 minutes ago, but they become so close so quickly. And I, again, this could be a runtime situation, but it just happens way too fast how close we become. He gets her pains out of the whole thing, which is ridiculous. Yeah, it was, like, it was a quick turn. But you know what I love about that scene is the reason, and the way I interpret it is that she is just so like alone. Like her family, her family didn't remember her birthday. She's striking out with Jake. She's just failing in every way. And say what you will about the kid, but he's there. And the thing I love about that scene it's such a like cool little John Hughes tweak. I'm giving him credit, assuming it was his call. So she's sitting in a convertible in a, in a car in the middle of nowhere that can't drive. It's just, it's just a couch. He, uh, geek <laughs> walks around the other side of the car and she unlocks the, the push, the pin lock. So, which he could have, it's right. It's a convertible. He could have unlocked it, but the the symbolism of her being like pop and pop and lock that to me that was her being like, all right, I'm I want to talk to you. You know I what know, I mean? It, it definitely was, and like I and that's I guess one of my favorite scenes, the whole car scene. But I feel like just leading up to that point was kind of it's real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think I think that I think she would just add her. She was at like a low rock point. Bottom, yeah. And her, and her yeah. friends are, and her friends are pretty much useless. <laughs> yeah. So my thing that I would change is I want more. Uh, Jake and Samantha story more Anthony and Michael Hall maybe more development of that friendship or trust and the way I would achieve that is I would entirely remove the whole long duck character and that story I would remove the grandparents story I would even I don't even really feel like they needed to show much of the sister's wedding like I get they could have just done um, oh um, people forgot about my birthday because of my sister's wedding but all the time they spent even like wasted at the wedding and all that stuff, other than him going to the wedding to like meet her at the reception, 
I wanted more Jake and Samantha, more uh, Samantha and Geek, whatever, like development of that that relationship. Um, but I don't want the, the movie's an hour and a half, which we always say, perfect, especially for a movie like this. So I don't want the film to go a lot longer, but there was a lot of stuff that I thought you could have trimmed out or more of Samantha and her, and her dad. I was going to say, was that, that, was my, that was my favorite scene. One of my favorite uh, scenes, I was going to mention that, was when she's on the couch sleeping. Yeah. And she talks about Jake. And at the end, she like she's all excited, pointing like, this is Jake, this is the this guy. Is and, and he's like, okay, <laughs> awesome. Like, he just like lets her do her thing. I love that scene. I love so. the scene on the couch, that part where she's like, I'm just going to get in this car with this guy you've never met before. And he's like, thumbs up. That was a little like, if I was a dad, I'd be like, well, does the kid want to come out and meet me, shake my hand? Like, yeah, but yeah, no, I get what you're saying. So. Oh no! I, 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 it's also he's also kind of crashing a wedding. I feel like too. So like it was probably an awkward situation for everyone there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, how about this is your sister's day? Uh, can J- is Jake available tomorrow? Can you guys like hang right. out tomorrow? Yeah. So uh, with all that aside, I do like that. I, I do like the relationship between her and the father. Right. But I do agree with you though about how there's a lot of filler though. Like you said, the exchange student didn't push the script at all. Didn't push the movie at all. He was there for. Apparent comic stupid. relief. Yeah, yeah. Like, and there wasn't even that. The comic exactly. relief wasn't great. So it's, yeah. Um, so we've gone through all the big questions. <clears throat> if you've listened before, you know, we rate things on a scale of one to five. Would you mind paying a late fee to keep this movie? So a one is you're going to start the movie, not finish it, return it to the, to the rental store that night. If you want to keep it a few days or more, you can rate it up to five. A five is like, you know what, I'm not going to, bring this movie back for a week two weeks maybe i'm just gonna buy it from the store so joe a scale of one to five what are you rating 16 candles 4.5 wow oh i love this movie it's i i think breakfast comes a five but this is this movie is one of his best and <clears throat> i think that this movie just like the back of the cover reads it pretty much defined a coming of age genre before this was those like the graduate and like these other films but this film kind of brought the high school setting into a more realistic setting we see some high school scenes we see these characters develop and he avoids the cliche of making the jock the bad guy which i loved so much i love that too again not a lot of time and we talked about like some rush things but how he still finds a way to naturally mold characters together okay and i I agree with you with like some of the filler and scenes that weren't needed but in the end this is a great romance film that i would show anyone guys girls who don't even people who don't care for romance films i think this is a great film to kind of like ease into the genre not my favorite but one of his best films i will be totally honest i did not see you liking this movie i mean i knew you liked this movie but i didn't think you'd like it that much that was surprising so um this film is classic like i said at the beginning it's not my favorite um a john hughes film but one of the things that I like about it is that you can see the beginning of John Hughes is genius. And so you see like glimpses or more, more than glimpses. The majority of the film is you see like, you know, how he's going to, what he's going to do for the next five years, 10 years <clears throat> becoming the legend that he is. But like I said, I think that the story wasn't as trimmed as, as well trimmed as some of his other films. Um, and you mentioned that the relationship between um, the geek and Jake made sense. And I agree with you. I thought they could have done a better job explaining the relationship between Jake and Samantha, like why the interest was there other than a note where she said she wanted to have sex with him. So all that said. Also speak, speaking of that note, that was a really weird that, where did that note come from? Was that like an assignment? Like, what was that, by the way? No, no, no. I, that's, I missed... that was, that's, dude, that's, that's, what, that's what girls do. Not now. I was thinking about that. Oh, I meant to okay, say that. Because I, I watched it, and I was like, well, these are a lot of questions. These are a lot of personal questions. <laughs> no, that, I was thinking about that. I meant to say that. If that's one thing that a kid today would watch, be like, why did you guys write notes? Why wouldn't you just text each other? Or like... <laughs> right. Will you go with me? Circle yes, circle no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all that said, for me, and this is only because... I think there's room for growth and whatever. Uh, I didn't enjoy this movie as much as I remembered enjoying it. I still really liked it. It was still very good. I gave it a 3.5. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But I was going to go four, but 
again, I think all of his movies, in my opinion, are fours and fives. And yeah. like, like that's why it's like, if we review all these films, it'd be a lot of consistent high numbers because he is one of the greatest, like you said. Super entertaining, hour and a half movie. Like it, it the, the, um, not to make another like sports analogy, but it's, it, this is kind of like when you get, when like a, whatever team you follow brings up that player that's like supposed to be a prospect. And like in baseball, like Rafael Devers' first season for the Sox, where like he hit for a pretty high average, and there were signs of real power. And you're like, all right, I think this kid's gonna have something here. And then the next season, he just like goes off like like a like a an all star. And that's what this was to me. This is like that first taste of I can. I wish I was alive, and I wish I was able to have seen this movie in theaters and to honestly say that I saw it coming. But people must have seen this movie in '84 and been like, "This is different. This this guy gets it on a different level." So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's 3.5, but that's a very good 3.5 for me. It's a, like I said, hour and a half, totally enjoyable movie. So, um, the beer also totally enjoyable. Uh, like I said, party guy beer. I tried to find a, a birthday thing. The the can. I'll put the picture up on online. The can's a very 16 candles can. It's pink. Um, and it's it's just perfect. So um, that was delicious. Very good summer beer. Um, follow us on Instagram. Suggestions always welcome. Send us a message. Um, if you send us a message, you cut in front of the next person in line, which right now is Joe. So if you can cut in front of Joe, great. But if you can't, Joe, what are we what are we watching next? My favorite film is actually Galaxy Quest with Tim Allen. All right. So that's. We, I kind of knew that was coming, and I remember really liking Galaxy Quest, but I, I'll be honest, I can't. I don't remember the last time I saw it. I shouldn't say I remember. <clears throat> I, re- I remember really liking it because I have this weird thing. I used to love Home Improvement, so anything that Tim Allen did other than Home Improvement, I had a kind of like, yeah, but it's not Home Improvement. You know what I mean? So, but I remember liking this. So, see, it's scary because like I. I, again, it's been a few years since I've watched Galaxy Quest as well, but we've watched so many good films lately. I'm getting so many high scores, I feel like, because we're, we're picking out such great films. Like, hopefully this one kind of, I want that to keep the momentum, so. Yeah, I already know my next, like I said, I, I'm trying to go 80s, 90s, 80s, 90s. So my next pick is going to be a 90s pick, and I already know what it's going to be, so I'm, I'm so excited. But I'm excited about this one, too. Galaxy Quest is a funny movie, and um, yeah. Real fun, be, real fun spoof on Star Trek. Yes, which... This is that that's good for me. I love I love Alan Rickman too. I love there's a bunch of good people in, in Galaxy Quest. So um all right. So other than that, like I said, if you have any suggestions, follow us on Instagram, worth the late fee, send us a message, cut you online or cut me in line after that. We'll be back next episode with Galaxy Quest. And other than that, thank you guys very much for listening. Yep, as always, thank you.